Bible and turn to Psalms chapter 15. We're looking at just one verse, verse number one, and we're going to answer the question or attempt to answer the question, who qualifies? Psalms chapter 15, verse one is a psalm of David, or it is a song that's been written by David. You remember who David was, King David. And he says, Jehovah, who shall dwell in your tabernacle and who shall dwell on your holy hill? He's ask, asking the question, who qualifies to dwell in your tabernacle or dwell on your holy hill? You say, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, you need to understand what those terms mean what do they mean to us today how do they apply to us today basically what is being said there he says when he talks about the tabernacle uh he is talking about the temporary place on earth where god meets with man and man meets with god so in his day it would have been the tabernacle but in our day we're referring more to the the temporal place a place like this a uh, place like your your home altar, whatever that is. But basically, uh, he is saying when he talks about the tabernacle here, it refers to a temporary place where man meets with God. The holy hill is talking about the eternal place that man meets with God. It's in reference to heaven. It's in reference to the place where the, that man and God will be together forever. So the question that David is asking here is, who is qualified to dwell with God here on this earth temporarily and in heaven with God eternally? Who qualifies? And you say, oh, I know the answer to that. Anybody that's accepted Jesus as the, as the Lord and Savior. Correct? Correct. But think about something for a minute. David lived a long time before there was Jesus. He lived a long time before the cross. David lived in a different dispensation. We live in a dispensation called the one of grace. He lived in one called the dispensation of the law. And yet there were righteous people. Don't you believe that all those people in the Old Testament who were righteous are going to be in heaven? You ever wonder about how are they getting there? If there's no other way to heaven but, 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 but through Jesus, how is everybody before Jesus getting to heaven that gets there? People like Enoch and Noah. How are they getting there? They lived in a time where that they were looking toward the cross. We live in a day where we look back to the cross. They looked forward, we look back. They were expecting a Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah, but he had not yet come. And yet God refers to some of these individuals in the Old Testament as people that he would call his own friend. People after his own heart. People who are the apple of his eye. These are not New Testament figures he's talking about. These are Old Testament figures who I would assume that if they were his friend... And there was such a thing as heaven and hell, and he had the opportunity to spend eternity with them. That's where they'd be. Am I right? How are they getting there? So oh, I know the answer to that one too, Pastor. 
they were living under the law, so they had to bring the sacrifices to the to the temple, and they sacrificed the animals, or they sacrificed the grain, or the flour, or the olive oil, whatever that might be, and that's how they were made righteous, and that's how, well, I'm not so sure that offering sacrifices necessarily made someone righteous any more than it does today. There's a lot of people that are sitting in churches all around this country today that aren't there because they want to be. They're there because somebody made them go or they're there because they were trying to transact some kind of business deal or they're there because they felt guilty if they didn't. But their heart wasn't in God. They're not there because they want to be there. They're not there because they got up this morning and said, wow, this is Sunday. I can't wait to get with God's people in God's house, in God's presence. I love Sunday. Now, there's a lot of us that feel that way. There's some people that aren't in church for that reason. There's a lot of people who have prayed little prayers in hopes that that's going to be enough to get them to heaven. But they didn't pray it from their heart. They have not believed upon Christ in faith, so they prayed some little prayer, maybe even had some kind of a little emotional response, but I don't know that that's going to be enough. You said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Anybody that prays that simple prayer with the pastor, I don't know that that's what that's saying. The scripture says that you would believe upon him and that you would confess him with your mouth that he is Lord. Sounds to me like there's something that happens in there that any person who believes upon the Lord Jesus Christ and repents of their sin and accepts him as their Lord and Savior becomes what the Bible calls a new creature. And a new creature won't think and act like an old one. That's the reason why everywhere that you see in God's word translation that talks about repentance, other translations where it used the word repent, God's word always says When it talks about repentance, it always uses the term, change the way you think and act. If there's no change in the way a person thinks and acts, I don't think that that prayer or even attendance at church means much. I believe that there's something that that combines, that, that somehow... Um, I would say a common denominator between the dispensation of law and the dispensation of grace, folks. There's something there that happened that God was looking upon more so than the sacrifice. Because God said back in the old day, you have to bring the sacrifice because there's not been... There's not been any blood shed for the remission of sin yet. That's not coming till the cross. So we gotta have that, we gotta have that blood shed in the Old Testament. You're gonna have to bring the sacrifice. But the ones who are righteous aren't just bringing a sacrifice of the law. They're bringing a sacrifice of praise. Heartfelt praise, love and adoration for God. The common denominator between those who I think will be in heaven from the dispensation of law and grace will be this. Condition of their heart. And David, I think, is key to understanding that. We know David. Wow, how baffled have we been in our life if we've studied, if we've studied him in the Bible. How baffled have we been that God would love him and respect him and care for him and provide for him. 
when David doesn't just make mistakes, David gets involved in premeditated sin, even to the point of what we would call murder. And then Nathan the prophet would come to him and say, what do you think about a guy who had a whole bunch of sheep and another one who had just one little lamb and it was for his pet for his family. And he said, what do you think about the guy that, would, that had all the sheep that would go to the one that had the one lamb and take those little babies' pet from them to sacrifice it because he didn't want to use one of his own? What do you think about him? David said, they ought to kill him. And he said, well, you're the man. You're the one that did it. What? Yeah, the minute that you took Uriah's wife. You had, to, you, had all, you had all this over here. You were the king, whether it's right or wrong. You had all these concubines. You had all these wives. You go over here and you take, you take his only prized, the love of his life. You're the man. And you're going to pay for it. And David says, you know what? You're right. I repent. I'm sorry. And he repents and he's sorry. And God receives that, but there's still a price to be paid. Am I right? There's still some things, there were, there were repercussions for our actions. It's just the way it is. But coming out of that, God's hand is still on David. Why? Because the minute that David is reminded of sin, he comes to himself, comes to his senses. Instead of becoming rebellious, instead of becoming ornery and angry, he immediately admits his sin. That's about the condition of heart. That's why, boy, let me step over here. That's why I personally think that we're going to be judged on the condition of our heart and not on our latest thought or action. Don't you hope that what I just said is true? You're the ones like me who've chosen to live under grace instead of law because the Bible says we don't have to live under law anymore. But those who live under law would say, oh, no, you're wrong. No, you're wrong, Pastor. You run a red light out here and you get hit by a car. You broke the law. You're going straight to hell. I might have ran that light because I was turning up the radio listening to Christian music and I had tears running down my eyes because I was worshiping God. And I got hit and got killed. No, it's still your fault. You broke the law. You're going to hell. Hmm? We don't have a license to sin. We do not have a license to sin. A new person won't want to sin. A new creature won't want to sin. They will want to please God. So all these people living in that old day before the time of the cross, way beyond them just going down and taking their sacrifices to the temple like everybody else, they had something else going on besides that. It was called worship. They weren't just doing it because they had to. They were living that righteous life because they wanted to. They were looking forward to the day of the Messiah, even though they might not get to see it with their own eyes. They were looking forward to the relationship with their Father in heaven. They prayed Him. They loved Him. They worshipped Him. They were getting as close to Him as they knew how to get. The condition of the heart. This passage reinforces that belief for me. I believe that this reveals the difference between real Christians and those who are just wannabes or hope-to-bes. Condition of the heart, I think, is the difference. 
great, there's a great list here that he provides us in, this, in these verses for us to examine ourselves. And I think it's good to do that from time to time. So the next few minutes, we're going to examine ourselves according to these verses in Psalm 15. He asks the question in verse 1, and he spends the next, all the next verses except for the last one, he spends those explaining who is that that's going to qualify. Who's going to be qualified? Whether they lived in the Old Testament or the New Testament, David's saying, here's who's going to qualify to dwell with God on the earth and in heaven. Who are they? John Wesley commented on this verse. By talking about the qualified in three ways. You can write this down if you want. Number one, he said, according to these verses, he said that the qualified would be the ones who would, number one, walk with integrity. You ever known people that claim to be Christians? But everybody's baffled by that because of the way they live their life every day other than Sunday? Like, man, that person is a thief. I mean, got a foul mind and mouth. And the qualified will walk with integrity because they want to. What's it mean? That word means uprightly. It means loving. It means serving. It means loving his neighbor. Not just saying that he loves his neighbor, but that in truth he really loves his neighbor and that he does things to show that constantly. That's what it means to walk uprightly. Qualified people will walk uprightly. Secondly, they'll do what is righteous. They make it their business to do what is just. They take care of other people first. When it comes to their money, they, 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 they make sure that they take care of, they, they give God, then to others, then themselves. Most people on this planet today don't live that way. We've been taught over years time that what you're supposed to do is when you get your money, you take care of yourself first then pay whatever bills you had to. If there's anything left, give some to God. The upright will pay God first, then others what they owe. Oh, let's not get quiet in here now. And then, as Pastor Chad said, they'll meet their own needs. This is what's known as to do what is righteous and thirdly he said they would speak the truth in their hearts look at that you know what that means that means that their words and their professions to god and man agree with the thoughts and the purposes in their heart what what's the bible say out of the abundance of the heart the mouth You want to know what somebody's really thinking? Let them talk. I do it all the time. I see somebody come with that look in their eye. I'm like, this will be interesting. Don't even try to diffuse it. Because I know whatever comes out of their mouth is what's going to come out of the heart. I'm about to find out what's really about this person. We'll speak out of the abundance of our heart. In counseling, a lot of times, I'll just sit there quietly looking at people like I'm as dumb as a stick. And I probably am, but I'm not as dumb as I look. I've learned to have that Jethro stare. I just sit there and look at people till they get so uncomfortable. They start talking. And guess what? I hear what's in their heart. Hmm. 
This is about motive. This is about attitude. This is about true desire. Because a real believer wants to do these three things that I just listed. That's what they want to do. They don't do it because they have to. This is, they get up every day. This is what they want to do. A real believer takes joy in these things. Walking with integrity. Living a righteous life. Speaking the truth out of their hearts. It's the core of who they are as a person. They want to do things of of integrity that please God and bring God glory. And they want to speak good things out of the abundance of their heart. Not because they feel like they have to, but they want to. That's how you can know what's really going on in a person's heart. What do they say when they when they don't think we're listening? Have you ever have you ever just happened to be in the right place at the right time, but it wasn't for someone else? You just happened to be somewhere. You weren't trying to eavesdrop. You just happened to be somewhere. And outside in the hallway, you hear them talking. And you're like, oh, so that's what they really think. That's not what they said a little while ago when we were talking, but that's what they really think. Mm. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'll tell you something, guys, we might as well be real. I mean, whether it's good or bad, if what's in your heart isn't good, or if what's in your heart is is good, you might as well speak what's in there because God already knows. There's no way to fool. And besides that, everybody else is going to find out before long. You know what the world can't stand any more than the church? A hypocrite. That's why you hear people say, I'm not going down to that church. They got a bunch of hypocrites down there. I heard people say that to me. I said, well, would you rather go to church with them or hell with them? I mean, I'd rather go to church with them. They'll either get right or they won't one way or another. I'm going where I'm going. They'll, they'll either be there or they won't. But I don't like, think I'm going to allow myself to miss out on God's house and his presence and where he's going because there's a few hypocrites there. There'll always be a few hypocrites there. The real believer, the one who's qualified, is going to be this person who does what he or she does because that at the core of them is who they are. It's how they think. They get up every day that way. They choose that. Now, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to talk about your family over here, Taylors. I'm going to talk about you. I'll put your hands over your ears. Um, over each other's ears. So, I got to share this with y'all. And I want I want to take a minute here and just thank all of you for coming out and being a part of that event over there at Garland. That was an amazing thing. There was so many volunteers. Our youth did a, a a fantastic job. So many of you came out on Friday and helped blitz and pass out. I think over nine hundred flyers went out. Six hundred of them that day. Three hundred in backpacks with the children. Um, the day of the event, there were volunteers everywhere. I was so proud of you guys. I really was. There were a lot of families there, and it was uh, that were. Now, when you say overall, there weren't just a whole lot of people at the event. Okay, it, it's not like there were hundreds of people that came to the event. With us and them together, there was probably a hundred of us there. Okay, but the families that were there were so diverse. There was one Muslim family. That, that when it came time for 
us to pray for the children in the children's service, the mama very respectfully with a smile on her face came up and got her children and brought them back to their seat. And we backed off. I said to Miss Angie, that's the right thing to do. We're not, hey, all we're doing is sowing a seed of love today. They weren't offended. They stayed. They hung around afterwards. Great family. It was interesting the day before the event. I was very pr- proud of Pastor Brian for, for the heart that he had to put this thing together. And then Miss Angie, she, you know, her and her team, just they're, they're amazing. Skits, they just did a great job. But the day before that we did the event, when we were doing the Blitz, van number two, uh, the brakes locked up on it. And so we brought it back to the church, and we had to make a decision. And some, some of the team had to come back, and then we took some back over and got them with Christina, who was still over in that area. But we had a lot more ground that we needed to cover, right? And Pastor Brian said, I, I don't know how far you all get, but he said, I feel led in my spirit that he said, there's this one place over there. He called them these apartments. He said, If you don't get anything else, go get that one. We're supposed to do that apartment complex. And so they did. They they blitzed that particular part. And that's where they ran out of flyers. And that was when it was over with. So the next day, we're having the service. This family comes in. A mom and I guess maybe an aunt. I don't know. And a couple of kids. And Miss Angie has taken them through this whole service. She gets to the altar time, asks if anybody wants to receive Jesus. And this one little girl from that family, I didn't see if she raised her hand or not. I think she did. But Angie, all of a sudden, they were there leading me to believe that this little girl was praying that prayer at that time. Okay? Then, when it's over with, there's prizes to be given away. So Miss Angie draws a name and she reads out a number and it's that little girl. She wins a bicycle. She's so excited. She's jumping up and down, guys. She's jumping up and down, turning around, facing the crowd. She's jumping up and got her arms in the air. I won, I won. Her mom and her aunt, everybody's excited except the little brother. And then it comes time to give away the boy's bicycle. And so she calls out the number. And I was sitting behind and I watched this whole thing. Little Jace, how old is he? Nine? Nine years old. He's kind of holding his ticket. I'm looking, I'm watching him. He's looking at his ticket and I can tell he's got it. Kind of looks back at his mom. Kind of looking at Angie. He's like, and he says to his mom, I got, I got it. And she leans up. You got it? Yeah, I got it. Well, she said, well, say something, you know. Or I guess that's what she's doing. She's getting this kind of motion. And then she leans up, she says something to him, and he, he goes. And he gets up and he walks up to Miss Angie and he says something to her. And she says, what? And then he says it again. And she turns him around and she says, Jace has decided to give his bicycle to the little boy whose sister just won one. There was a full-grown man there who immediately walked over to him and patted him on the back, and he said, son, you just touched my heart. I talked to the man afterwards, and he said, he said, Pastor, I know a lot of men that aren't as much of a man as that little boy. He said, I, he said I'm so glad I came to this service. He said, that blessed my heart. So now the, the aunt, she's just bawling. She's crying. Mama's just freaking out. Kids are jumping up. <clears throat> 
Mom gets on her phone. She's calling everybody. I'm down here at this church. And they, you ain't going to believe what they just did, right? These two bicycles. Then we get the whole story. Brian goes up to her afterwards and he's visiting with her. And she says, both of my little kids' bicycles got stolen in the neighborhood. My kids haven't had bicycles. They've been really sad. She said, they've been so stressed out. She said, today we were going to go try to get some school supplies. And I think there was a place in Prairie Grove giving away free school supplies. She said, so we were going to go. We're going to leave here and go over to Prairie Grove and try to find them some school supplies. And Brian says, hang on just a minute. He goes over to Miss Tracy, who is the principal at Asbel, where we're going to be working with the kids. And and pretty soon she comes back to her and says, follow me over to the school and gives her free school supplies. Just two blocks away instead of going to Prairie Grove. Then I load the bicycles up in the back of my truck. And I said, I'll follow you all home. Guess where we landed? At the apartment complex where Pastor Brian said, I feel like we've got to make sure that we blitz that one. If you run out anywhere else, he said, make sure you do that one. We're supposed to go there for some reason. I'm unloading these bicycles. The kids are running up. Little girl screaming, I want a bike. And another little kid's walking up. He said, I want a bike. He's like, no, not you, me. I thought what a beautiful illustration of this. For a nine-year-old boy. How many nine-year-old boys, if they want a bike, would be thinking about giving that to someone else? Now, that's good home training. Huh? That's, I thought about their family and their daughters, and I thought, you know, that, that wouldn't have surprised me in the same situation. All three of their kids would have done the same thing. They're, that's just how they are, and that's because... Parents have raised them the way they have, but something else has happened there besides. Because mom and dad kept them in church all their life, given them a foundation, at some point they received, truly received Jesus into their heart. And that's what people do when they're real Christians. Amen? And they don't do it because they had to. And they don't do it because they're angry. They don't do it because... Somebody manipulated them. They do it because it's just in their heart. The verses say that these people will walk with integrity. They'll do what is righteous. They'll speak the truth that's in their heart. Because their true motives and their true desires are going to come to the surface at some point. He went on very quickly. Let me lay this out for you. Get your pencil. Look at this. He, he said they're, they, they're going to do three things that qualify them. They're also not going to do four things that would qualify them. These four things that they don't do would also be a way of qualifying these individuals. So they will do three things, but I guess it's more than four. Sorry about that. They're six, but they're quick. The qualified won't do these things. Number one, he says they won't slander others or gossip about others. Why? Because they want blessings for other people. If you're really a believer, boy, somebody's not going to be happy right here if you like gossip. If you're a true believer, bad news about somebody else is not going to bring you joy. 
That's what gossip's about. Tell me something that I haven't heard. Tell me something. Have you heard about so-and-so? No, tell me. It's always, gossip is never good stuff. Have you, hey, let me tell you about so-and-so. And it's and you and if you live, listen, it's very rarely ever. Yeah, they got saved and filled with the Holy. That's not what it's about. It's like you ought to. You ain't gonna believe whose car was over somebody's house last night, huh? I drove by this morning seven o'clock. Car's still there. You do the math. And a person's car may have broken down. You don't know any of that, but you know, not one to spread rumors, but. All I know is that car was still there when I came by this morning. Real believers won't take joy in hearing bad news about someone else. Number two, they will not do evil or mistreat others. They don't have any desire to hurt other people. Number three, they won't bring disgrace on others. They're not going to bring shame or rebuke on somebody else. I know I have a lot of faults, guys. I have a lot of faults. If you're around me, you know that. But one of my one of my greatest faults is this. And it's a choice I've made, and I made it a long time ago. And I'm not as naive as I look, but I have chosen this for my life, the way I want to live my life. I choose to believe the best in others. I just do. Gets me in trouble sometimes. Some people deserve that. Some people don't. The ones that don't, I get burned. But I choose to start out from the beginning Believe in the best in other people. Now, if they let me down, they let me down. But it's my choice. Even if someone's mistreating you, you have to leave it up to the Lord to handle that, but you continue to be patient with them because you wouldn't bring disgrace on that. You don't have any desire to hurt somebody. Even if their words and their actions are hurting you, what's the right thing to do? Keep your mouth quiet. Be positive. Be silent. Number four, the qualified. They won't follow those who don't bear peaceable fruit, but it goes like this. Avoid and dislike reprobates, but they honor and respect righteous individuals. And here's what that means. That means that every position that God has ordained, we have to respect that position. But there's a lot of people in those positions that don't deserve our respect. Are you still with me? So we we know that all all government and all positions, whether that be whether wherever that is, that these things are ordained of God. Government is ordained of God, and that we are to respect positions that God has ordained. But there are a lot of people who get in those positions that don't deserve our respect, nor do they deserve us to follow them blindly. It means that this right here is saying that if you're truly qualified, you don't have to respect and follow somebody's life who does not bear the peaceable fruit that a righteous person's life will bear. You have to honor and respect the ones who do. You still have to, you still have to be a Christian. You still have to do right even when you're, having to, you're in a position that you're being led of someone you don't agree with, you still have to, you know, you still got to be okay to some extent. But what I'm saying is, 
whether that be political or if it be a church or, or a family or what, if you, I'm going to tell you right now, if you went to a church where that the pastor was shearing the flock and stealing the money on Monday, does God approve of the position of a pastor of a church? Yes. So you respect the fact that that is a pastor, but you don't have to follow that pastor. Nothing in the book says you got to respect that pastor. The Bible calls those kind of guys hirelings. They're the ones out there to shearing the sheep. They're in it for their own. They're in it to find out how much am I going to get paid? What, when do I get mine? You don't have to follow that leader. You don't have to follow. You don't have to be okay with that pastor. You got to respect the position. But what do you do? You get a petition together to get him out of there? Nope. You load up your stuff and you move on to the next one. Somebody say amen. I've known guys in the past that what they wanted to do when they, when they weren't happy with their, with their pastor, these are guys that were on staff. They said, my pastor, you know, you can't ever even find him. He's always out on a golf course. He never comes to work. Well, he didn't know what his pastor was doing. You know, this, this guy was a youth pastor just like I was. He said, I'm basically running that church over. You know, it was that kind of a thing. I'm running it, and he's off. We never, never know where he's at. Secretary can't find him. He plays golf all the time. He didn't have a clue, you know. First of all, it was a church that only had a pastor, secretary, and a youth pastor. So the pastor was probably killing himself trying to get it done. And he wasn't around the church a lot. But in the eyes of the youth pastor, it was he's a slap, he's lazy, he's a slacker. You know, back then we had pagers. He don't ever answer his page. And that's how far back that goes. I hated pagers. What a waste a pager was. So there's a number. I still don't have a phone. I mean, what? Wasn't pagers an idiotic? Somebody called me. Can't do nothing about it, but there it is. Look, so-and-so is calling me right there. When I get to a phone, I'll call him back like I would have if I'd have been near a phone. So this guy says he don't ever answer his page. He said, I'm, he said I'll tell you, folks are getting upset. And he said, I'm going to get a group up together. We're going to get us up a petition. I said, hang on, brother. Let me tell you something. The word said, touch not mine anointed. Do my prophet no harm. Buddy, if you aren't happy with your pastor, don't you dare say anything. Don't you start no petition. You resign and let God take care of him. If he's in the wrong, it'll come out in the wash. If he's not, you'll come out in the wash. What you better do, load up yours and roll on out. And let the Lord take care of it. The fifth one is. They won't break their promises. Hear me on this. They'll keep their word even if it hurts them to do this. Hey guys, have you ever had something for sale? And you agreed with someone on a price. And then somebody else came along and said, I'll give you more. What did you do? Depends on what was in your heart. If you was really qualified, what you did was you honored your word and you took the loss and you sold it for what you said you would. But if that if God wasn't your God and mammon was, then you broke your word, got more money. And you were a liar. And a cheat. I know it's quiet in here today. I'm not trying to win friends and influence people. 
I'm not Dale Carnegie. I'm just telling you how we qualify. You say, what if, what, what if I lose a lot of money? It, it, you're not going to lose any money. All the money's God's anyway, and he person that does right they're going to do right no matter the cost god will reward them for that and repay them for their losses i've always believed that the one thing that's really damaged in this equation is your pride take the hit take the loss and let god bless you down the road for doing the right thing number six they won't steal from anybody in any way they don't cheat on their bills they don't cheat on their taxes they don't cheat on agreements they don't take bribes they don't look the other way they don't rip off somebody just because they can a real believer will always put the interest of others above themselves. You know what ought to bring you joy? <clears throat> this one took me a while. This one took me a long time to learn. What ought to bring you joy is buying everybody's dinner when you go out. You know, like every time you go to lunch with somebody, you just pay for it. They're like, man, I owe you six times. I, don't, I really don't know and don't care. I don't even know. Have you ever known people that they keep it up like, well, well, I bought last time. I bought last time. and Hang on now. Hang on. I bought last time at Olive Garden and we're at Pizza Hut now. So you know what? I mean, yeah, you owe this one and then a half again. Some people live that. That's how they live. That's how they live. Can you imagine how miserable it would be to live that way? And I would rather just say, even when they call me, they say, let's go to lunch. Now, some of y'all beat me. I'm telling you, there's some in this room you beat me. Sometimes you get to the ticket before I do. But I'm going to tell you, it is, a, it is a benefit and a joy and a blessing to be able to try to live a generous life. If you're a true believer, you don't want to, you you're not interested in winning in those situations. You're interested in putting other people first. You're interested in making sure other people got something to eat, whether you did or not. You're interested in making sure that everybody else got a drink of water, whether there's any left for you. That's how you think. That's what's in your heart. It's called generosity. And you would never intentionally take from another person. So now let's go back to this and wrap this up. How was God judging people before the cross? Well, he's looking for sacrifices, but I think he's looking for more than that at that point. How did they treat each other? Because this is David way before the cross saying this is how people who want to dwell with God here and there would live. David's saying this is how you would know what we would call today Christians. They weren't called that back then. There was no Christ. They were righteous people. David said, how would you know a righteous person in the dispensation of the law? He said they would be the ones that did these three things and did not do those six. They offer their sacrifices. They do what they're supposed to do. But they also adhere to these things. Why? There's a common denominator in all of these things. And what, how many of them are there? Did you add them up? Nine? In all of these things, there's a common denominator. And they all go back to one thing. The condition of a person's heart as it relates to other people. How are you going to... What, what, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say about the law? Jesus, which, well, they said, which is the most important law? And Jesus said... Well, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And if you do those two, you can hang all the rest of them out behind the barn. It wouldn't make no difference. We don't even need them. If you do those two, it wouldn't matter. What's he saying? Condition of the heart. How do you love? And so, verse 15 is the promise. Tag, ties all this together. 
Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Now, you say, never, what's that mean? Here's what that translates to. Whoever does these things will abide with God here and forever. He started it by saying, who is going to be able to dwell with God here and who's going to be able to dwell with God forever? And then he spends the whole middle of that chapter explaining the who wills and the the who wants. And then he comes back to the end and ties the bow with with the, the blessing and the promise that says anybody who adheres to everything that I have just said is going to spend eternity with God. Now, how could they do that? In the Old Testament, if there was no Jesus. David says, they're going to spend eternity. They're living with him here and they're going to live with him forever. Well, there's only one place they can do that, and that's in heaven. They're going. How are they getting there? Condition of the heart. Sacrifice and the condition of the heart. Has anything really changed? It hasn't, has it? Because now it is this. The sacrifice isn't a lamb or a turtle dove. The sacrifice is Jesus. And now you present yourself, what? A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him. Still the same. You're still bringing a sacrifice. He's still looking on a condition of the heart. Isn't that cool? Do you think that was a comfort to the people before the cross to have that verse or that chapter? Is it, you think it's a comfort to the people after? Isn't it a challenge to everybody, no matter which side of the cross they were on? Isn't that a challenge? Isn't that truly the challenge? Isn't that truly what sums up Christianity, even before Christianity was Christianity? Love your neighbor as yourself. Take care of others before you take care of yourself. Do right by other people. Because God is going to gauge your qualifications based on how you love others and treat them because that reveals the true condition of your heart. Mm. So how do we line up? Is there any areas that we need to get in check? Do you need to do we need to come humbly before our God, repent of anything? You say, well, Pastor, I prayed that prayer. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and that's all I have to do. I don't have to do nothing else. If you say that to me, I'm gonna say, You want to listen to this word again? Because if you say to me, I don't have to do nothing else, you already got a bad attitude. Listen to it again as many times as you have to until you can get sweet. Till you can get happy. Till you can get positive. I say this is my last statement, my last concluding statement about this message, and then we're going to pray. If you're truly right with God, you'll be right with everybody else too. Or at least you'll try to be. If you're truly right with God, You'll be right with everybody else. Or at least in your heart, you'll be trying to be. Now, if that statement doesn't add up for you, if that doesn't line up. Then this next segment of the service is for you. (laughs) I would say, hey, you might not want to leave here until you get that in check. We're going to sing a song and you might want to find yourself a place. Because if you're the person that just showed up because it's Sunday and they made you. And you still think you're going to heaven because you prayed a prayer at BBS when you were six years old, 27 years ago. I'll tell you right now, what's the condition of your heart? 
if it's not soft and pliable and broken and contrite before the Lord, but if it's hard and angry, then all of your tithes and sacrifices are of little value. You're not going to earn your way to heaven. You're going to get there by being like Jesus. With that soft heart. Amen. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, for bringing us here today to hear this word. And it's not a mistake that, that we are here, either that we personally needed to hear this or else you're going to use us this week to share it with someone else who does. But I pray that each one of us here today will examine our heart in light of the word and that we will be changed if necessary. Every one of us, Lord, who are striving every day to live out lives that look like the life of Jesus, even we need every day to be examined by the Holy Spirit to make sure that nothing has crept in to make us angry or bitter or ugly or corrupt or selfish break our hearts today Lord prepare us for people that you are sending this way who are hurting and are in need people who don't have anything to offer by the way of resources people that are going to cost us money send them prepare us oh Lord to love and disciple all those that you send our way. Help us not to be focused on ourselves. I don't want days like Sunday to be days where I sit through services like this simply thinking about what I'm going to do when I get out of here. Lord, these are the times where we can really fine-tune our spirit and prepare us for ministry throughout the week. Help us to come to your house with those kind of attitudes those type of motives regardless of your desire or need for prayer I want to make the altars open some of you it may be to repent of sin to ask Jesus to come into your heart I want to make the altar open for others of you it may be you know what I've just one or two of those places that you hit on they, they, they quickened in my spirit I was convicted so find a place at the altar. But as Neil leads us in this song, all over this room, would you honor this time? As soon as we finish prayer together today, we're gonna, we have the chance to dedicate two little sweet babies. And we're going to dedicate them before we leave. But let's spend a few minutes here in prayer, letting the Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Can we do it? Ask him, Lord, if there's anything in me, if I have any bitterness, any unforgiveness any selfishness if there's anything in me lord toward another person that's not pleasing to you would you point that out to me god if there's something in my heart that i shouldn't be happy with would you convict me lord help me to repent of anything that would cause me not to be sweet and loving to others god i want jesus to live in me i'm not my own i'm bought with a price he owns me and i want to live in such a way that brings glory to jesus pray those prayers with me folks as Neil leads us, let's pray.